We're just so thankful that we can know that you do love us. Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the freedom that we have to assemble together. And Lord, we ask that you would take your word and minister to each heart here today. Lord, we pray that the Christians would be encouraged and strengthened. Lord, that the wayward ones would be brought back to the truth. And Lord, we pray especially for those that are here today that may not know you as their personal Savior, that today they would understand what it means to be born again the Bible way. We ask you to work in hearts and lives that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain set. Maybe we ought to just give the invitation. Amen. I'll tell you. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus 25, and we are going to be moving through the Scriptures this morning. If you follow the titles of the message, this morning is Two Pieces of Wood. Two insignificant pieces of wood, and no, in case you're trying to think ahead, they did not make an old rugged cross. That's not where we're going this morning. Uh, But Exodus chapter 25, and I want us to look at these two pieces of wood, and I believe that they will help us see some things and understand, uh, just have a... Uh, better knowledge of the scripture and what is actually being said. Sometimes uh, we, when we're trying to understand the Bible, we love to get somebody else's book. We want to listen to somebody else's sermon. We want to do something. I'll tell you, if you really want to understand the Bible, let the Bible teach you about the Bible. Uh, The Bible is its own best commentary. And so, as we look here, we're just going to read a few verses. Exodus chapter 25, we'll start in verse 12. This is the making or the plans of the Ark of the Covenant. And in verse 12, it says, And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, for the Ark, and put them in the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. Now, the two pieces of wood that I'm talking about are the two staves that were made to bear the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you'll remember, in Sunday school, uh, we did the first lesson, actually second lesson on the life of Moses up to the beginning of the plagues. God was going to bring his people out of slavery. He was going to bring them to the mountain of God, where he would give them the Ten Commandments. And if you just go back a few verses before we started reading, he told Moses, I want these things made after the pattern that I showed thee in the mount. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai, he got more than the Ten Commandments. In fact, the uh, Hebrew accounting is 613 commandments in the Old Testament law. God gave them to Moses on Mount Sinai. He also showed him 
the real items of which the furniture in the tabernacle represented. And he said, I want you to make these things look like what I am showing you. In the book of Revelation, uh, when we get to chapter 4, it's going to say there are seven lamps burning before the throne of God, which is the seven spirits of God. Seven lamps? Does that sound like the golden candlestick in the tabernacle, which has the Jewish menorah has been patterned after? Uh, These things are all connected from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. And the Ark of the Covenant was just literally a box made out of wood. And in it was the laws of God that God had given Moses on Mount Sinai. They were to carry this box with them wherever they went. When the tabernacle was finished, the Ark of the Covenant would be set in the place that we call the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. It was totally dark in there. There was no light. And only once, I mean twice actually, on the Day of Atonement, most of you are familiar with the parking laws, uh, regulations being suspended for Rosh Hashan and And in a week or so is going to be Yom Kippur. That is the Day of Atonement. That was the only day and only the high priest could enter into that Holy of Holies with the blood of the sacrifices to sprinkle on the mercy seat. The entire tabernacle was movable. Everything was made to be carried with them. The ark was the most sacred part of the tabernacle furniture. On it sat what the Bible calls the mercy seat. It is a picture of the throne of of the God of heaven. It is the mercy seat, the blood-sprinkled mercy seat, where we obtain the forgiveness of sins. By the way, it's not your blood sprinkled there. It's the blood of our Savior. Amen? The sinless, perfect blood of the Lamb of God. Now, as we read through this, and if you've been following your daily Bible reading schedule, you have read this chapter early on, Exodus. And there's just one little statement here. It says that they were to make these staves. Verse 15, the staves shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. While we were in um, uh, Montana uh, a couple weeks back, uh, a preacher started preaching and he preached all around this, but I got the idea to preach this sermon from here. These staves were meant to be put in these golden rings right there at the foot of Mount Sinai, and they were never, ever under any circumstances, to be removed. It was the way that the ark was carried, the way the ark was moved. It was a constant reminder to the children of Israel that God is on the move. God is not stationary. It's not just some 
thing that we sit here and, and, and hope something good is going to happen. God is moving. He is an active God. He is doing things. And by the way, and we'll touch on this as we go, God is not unwilling to move on and leave us behind should we choose not to follow the things that are in the Word of God. That was to be a reminder that those staves were in the ark for a purpose. Look with me to Leviticus chapter 16. And uh, we, we're not going to take time to uh, uh, touch on everything here, but when the ark was being moved, they would take the veil of separation They would lay it over top of the ark and wrap the ark in it. And then those that would carry the ark would come and take the staves and take it upon their shoulders. No one was allowed to look at the ark. They were not allowed to touch the ark. Even the high priest, when he went in, it's described in the rest of Leviticus chapter 16, would be in there with total darkness. The only light would be the glow of the embers Uh, in the censer, but he would be putting incense on those things, and so there would be almost zero light in there. And this, of course, is God trying to help you and I understand a couple things. Number one, God is holy. That is something that is not taught often today. The word holy is not part of an expletive Uh, It's not just another thing that we add to our cuss words. Uh, The word holy means separated, sanctified. It means set aside for a specific use. And when God says something is holy unto me, that means only God uses that thing. When we say God is holy... We were are affirming many times through the scripture, we are sinners. God is not. He is right. We are wrong. In a society where they want everyone to be right, God says, doesn't work that way. If there's any disagreement... The problem is yours, not God's. And as sinful human beings, we cannot look upon, nor can we comprehend, nor can we understand God. But there are many things that God does want us to understand. In fact, Stop worrying about the things you can't understand and start doing the things you do understand and your life will change, I promise you. But in verse 2 here, it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times within the veil before the mercy seat which is upon the ark, that he die not. Now this was Aaron. This was the high priest. And he said, Moses, you tell Aaron that he doesn't come into the holy place, the holy of holies all the time. 
He can only come in and the rest of this chapter is designated to describe the events in the ceremonies on the on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, and how those things were to be carried out. It is not a light thing to approach unto the God of heaven. Somebody called us up trying to sell t-shirts, said, this will raise money for your youth department. I said, well, we don't do that. And then the person just pleaded. I said, okay, uh, send me your stuff. And it had t-shirts in there. One was God's gym, and it had a picture of Jesus doing push-ups with the cross on his back. That's blasphemous, my friend. Another one said, Jesus is my homie. Now, I'm glad they just weren't close enough because I might be tempted to break another commandment, right? Uh, Let me tell you, that kind of attitude does not praise the God of heaven. They call him the old man upstairs. Don't do that around me. Because he is God. And he told Aaron, the high priest, that you don't approach to the mercy seat anytime you want. You do so at my direction, under my influence. Because if you come to that mercy seat your own way and your own time, you are going to die. And so this ark was made. And let's just go back to Exodus 35 and just look at the verse here. Uh, Exodus 37, I'm sorry, verse 5. And it describes... Bezalel here as he is making the ark and putting things together. And in verse 5, it says he put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark to bear the ark. Now, that's a word I want you to just put in your memory, the word bear. That's what these two pieces of wood were for. They were to carry the ark. They were to bear the ark to move it from place to place. Because the God of this book called the Bible wants to be with us. One of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. That's what that name means. And uh, I had a person one time, uh, actually uh, uh, of Jewish descent, rather than claimed to be rather knowledgeable of the scriptures and said, his name isn't to be called Jesus, it's to be called Emmanuel. And I said, how could he be more with us than to become one of us? To be born as a human being. That's what it's all about, is it not? And by the way, I quoted him a verse he'd never read out of Matthew, his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. That's what these two pieces of wood were for. They were to bear the ark. You could not approach to the ark. You could not touch the ark, except you did it according to the commandments and the ceremonies that were placed in the word of God. 
Now, I want us to go to 1 Chronicles chapter 13, and we're going to find a situation where they ignored these two pieces of wood. They just didn't pay any attention to them. Let me give you a little background before we read um, the actual passage here. But one of the last things that happened before Samuel became a full uh, judge, the last judge of Israel, was Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had borne the ark to the camp of the Israelites. They had, were in battle with the Philistines and had lost on the first day of the battle. And so they brought the ark of God, and the battle was completely lost the next day. The sons of Eli were killed, and the ark was taken captive into the land of the Philistines. Real bad things happen in the land of the Philistines. And so they sent the ark back on a cart. By the way, do you ever wonder how the Philistines moved the ark? Uh, maybe they used the staves that were in the rings of the ark. Amen? And that came back, and over a period of time, Saul was anointed king. He was king for 40 years. He died in battle not from the wounds of the enemy, but by his own hand. And David became the king. David said, I want the ark of God brought into the city of Jerusalem because I want the ark to be the center of our people because it is the physical symbol of the presence of Almighty God and we never sought it at all in the days of Saul. Saul was one of those kings that did everything his own way. David was the man that the Bible described as the man after God's own heart. And so he wanted to bring the ark into the city of Jerusalem. And so we come here to, and we're just going to get their bits and pieces. Read verse 1 with me. And, Dave con, and David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader... And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel. And, and uh, verse 3, And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it, not at it in the days of Saul. Now, we, came, we take the rest of the story. They took the ark of God and they set it on a cart and they were driving the cart to the city of Jerusalem. In verse 9, it says, And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before the Lord. Now, they had taken this ark and set it upon the cart. Now, how did they do that? Well, they had to use those two pieces of wood, the staves. As the oxen carried the cart, they got to the threshing floor here. And you have to understand the history and the area. 
there were no uh, or very few paved roads. There were little trails and things like that. A threshing floor was a solid piece of stone. It, it may be half the size of our auditorium. Uh, if it was a large and the path would have led up to it and they would have just, the oxen would have been walking in that softer dirt or on the trail and all of a sudden they hit that solid stone and the oxen stumbled. Well, what happens when oxen stumble pulling a cart? Well, that whole cart begins to rock back and forth. The men on the cart could handle that and make movements, but that inanimate object, the Ark of the Covenant, which was on the cart, began to be jostled around. Now, I want to, and this is a whole other sermon that we don't have time for this morning, but we got to get this point. Uzzah could not allow the ark of God to fall off the cart. That was just not an option. That was not even in the wildest imagination of anyone that the ark could fall off the cart. If it did, it would be destroyed. You couldn't make another one. And as this ark and the mercy seat on it begin to rock back and forth, Uzzah does the only thing he knows what to do. He reaches out and he grabs a hold of the ark and he, and he steadies it and he puts it on the cart and keeps it from falling. As his body falls off the cart to the ground dead. Because he touched the ark of God. You see, David had consulted with the leaders, but he hadn't consulted with the Word of God. The Word of God had given special commandment about those two pieces of wood, that the priests were to bear the ark with those pieces of wood. And in fact, if you read the rest of this story here, you're going to find out that after a period of months, David consulted and he finally got a hold of the Levites and the priests and said, how are we supposed to move this? They said, well, let me tell you, when the ark was made, those two staves that were put in the side were not ornamentation. They were there to bear the ark. And it's the only way the ark is allowed to be moved is on the shoulders of the priest as they bear the burden of the Ark of the Covenant and carry the Word of God with us. So, when the staves were ignored, Uzzah died. The staves were put in there at the commandment of God, just a simple sentence, they shall not be taken from it. But let me ask you a question. Has God ever given a commandment man has not broken? Don't think so. Someone said, well, at least we're going, being fruitful and multiplying. We're overpopulating the earth. Oh, we're not anywhere near close to it. As far as overpopulation is concerned. And by the way... The total is approaching 60 million babies in the United States that have been murdered in the abortion mills. 
Don't you tell me we're being fruitful and multiplying. There's no commandment that God has given that man has not broken and scoffed at. And what we're going to find here in 2 Chronicles, where we're going next, 2 Chronicles chapter 5. This was the pinnacle, the highest point in all of history of the children of Israel happened right here in 2 Chronicles chapters 5 through 7. They built the temple in Jerusalem. The temple of Solomon was far beyond anything that you and I could ever imagine. Just to give you an idea, the stones that made up the foundation of the temple weighed many tons each stone. The stones were cut and quarried underneath Jerusalem. There is a catacomb of tunnels. The masons of Solomon actually went down and dug under the mountain on which Jerusalem is built and cut the stones for the temple under the mountain and transported them up to the temple site. And when the temple was built, there was not one sound of an iron tool in the building of the temple. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you move a stone that weighs several tons into place and set stones together in such a way that they locked in place and there was no need for mortar and rebar and all of the things that we do when we build today. And by the way, that temple stood from nearly right about 900 A.D. for 350 or so years. That temple was there in the city of Jerusalem. And they had less problems with the walls of the temple than we do with the walls of our building that are just not even a hundred years old yet. That was Solomon's temple. It was overlaid with gold. You could see the sun reflecting off the temple in Jerusalem. Miles and miles and miles away. But look what they did in chapter 5 of the book of 2 Chronicles. And let's start reading in verse 7. And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place, to the oracle of the house, into the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the, and the staves thereof above. Verse 9, and they drew out the staves of the ark, that the ends of the staves were seen from the ark before the oracle, but they were not seen without, and there it is unto this day. God had made a statement, you're not to take those staves out of the ark. The priest had brought the ark into the temple that Solomon had built, and they took the staves out. 
Now, if we look over in chapter 7, and and we will for just a moment, Solomon prays in chapter 6 at the dedication of the temple. In chapter 7, it says in verse 1, Now, when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Fire fell from heaven. By the way, read your Bible and study the number of sacrifices that were made on that day. It is beyond your imagination. And the fire from heaven fell. The glory of God filled the house That temple was so full of the glory of God that no human being, not even the priest, could enter the temple while the cloud of God's glory filled it. They had not seen that cloud of glory of God since the days the children of Israel had wandered through the wilderness. Let me tell you, this is the highest point of all Jewish history right here as they took that Ark of the Covenant, but they disobeyed God And I'm going to explain something here I believe is in our text and is absolutely paramount. You see, in the Jewish mind, the temple was the last place the ark was going to be. And it was going to last forever. In fact, that mentality carries down through the New Testament when they had built the second temple, wherein there was no ark. The ark was destroyed, as far as we know, when Nebuchadnezzar sacked the temple and destroyed Jerusalem in 600 B.C., 600 years or so before Christ was born. The ark disappears. But when Jesus... The week of his crucifixion is sitting with his disciples and says, there's going to come a time when not one stone is going to be left upon another in this temple, that it is going to be totally destroyed. The disciples' question to the Lord is, when shall these things be and the end of the world? You see, they had an understanding that if the temple were destroyed, it would be the end of the world. Uh, can I give you a little history? The temple was destroyed by the armies of Titus in 70 AD. And Mr. Camping pro, uh, prophesied the end of the world last May, and he said it's going to happen again in October. Uh, I'm not holding my breath. He was wrong in 1994, and he's wrong, and he's just wrong. But listen very carefully. The mentality was already there in the days of Solomon. That God's not moving anymore. This is it. In fact, it had developed into such an attitude that by the time we get to the New Testament and Jesus introduces the mystery that Paul talks about, how the Gentiles could be saved the same way the Jewish people could be saved. The Jewish people had so much put into their mind and their heart that no one could be saved but a Jew. That God had to do some very miraculous things to change that thinking in the hearts of those Jewish people that had already given their lives to Jesus Christ. 
You see, God said, I want those staves left in the ark because it is to be borne on the shoulders of the priest. I want those staves left in the rings of the ark because I want you to know that God is on the move and if you choose to turn your back on me, I'm leaving. People have written many books and things about the ark of the covenant and all kinds of goofy stories and things like that. But... Let me just tell you something. Nebuchadnezzar did destroy the temple in Jerusalem and raised it to its foundation and beyond. They had to put up a new foundation. If the staves were not in the ark, there was no way to rescue the ark. It would have been destroyed with the temple because if you touched the ark, you died. Only the staves protected you. They gave a barrier to the holiness of God and kept you away from the power that was in the ark. There was no ark in the second temple. The temple that Jesus walked into that was destroyed in 70 AD had a white marble slab in the Holy of Holies. And the high priest would go in on the Day of Atonement and he would sprinkle the blood upon that white marble slab. Not quite the same as sprinkling it on the mercy seat, is it? And when Jesus died on the cross and cried out the three greatest words in all of history, it is finished. That veil was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Showing the emptiness and the vainness and the non-truth to the religious system that had been developed in the minds and the traditions of the Jewish religious leaders. There is nothing that will save you in tradition. It's all in the Word of God. The Word of God was in the ark. Where's the ark? Now, there is a verse in Revelation that said that that the holy place was opened in heaven and they saw the ark. I don't know if that's the real ark that this one was made a pattern after or if God just came down and took the ark. We don't know. And by the way, don't waste a lot of time trying to figure it out. Now, this is the significance of these two pieces of wood. And I want us to spend the next few moments looking at how those two pieces of wood, the staves that bear the ark, ought to apply to our heart and our life. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. I mean Galatians, I'm sorry. Galatians chapter 6, if you would. And I I need you to listen very closely because I'm going to just deal with a lot of scriptures without turning there. Because if we had to turn to every scripture, uh, it would take us all afternoon and, and, and that's not our goal here. The Bible tells us that in the New Testament, when a Christian gets saved, we are made a priest unto God. Now, the idea of a priest 
is someone that has direct access to God. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to offer a sacrifice, you had to take it to the priest, the sons of Levi, the sons of Aaron, and the sons of Aaron would offer that sacrifice for you. You could not offer a sacrifice for yourself because you were not a priest unless you were born into the right family and you were consecrated and serving and all of the different things that were connected there. In fact, a priest could not offer for himself. The only priest that could offer for himself was the high priest. If you were a priest and you did something wrong that demanded a sacrifice to make restitution, you had to find another priest. The high priest would offer the sacrifice for you. You couldn't offer it for your own problems, your own sins. You had to have someone else. Now, when we get saved, we have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. That's why I do not bear the title of priest as a Baptist preacher. Because every saved person in here, according to the scriptures, can talk directly to God. It is a doctrine that through history we have called the priesthood of the believer. It is one of the things that you can trace through history and find a different and separate group of people from many of the mainline religions that are out there today. You say, well, why are we going here? Because as a priest, you had a right to bear the ark. Now, bearing the ark, what was in the ark, my friend? The word of God. Are you seeing the picture here? That God has painted. The priest were to bear the word of God wherever the nation of Israel went. How were they to bear the word of God? The word of God was in the ark. The staves were in the rings of the ark and those staves allowed them to carry the word of God wherever they went. Now I want you to read with me here. We're going to read the first uh, six verses of Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted." Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall what? Bear his own burden... Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Now what Paul is doing here in the book of Galatians is he is giving instruction to the church. And he said, if a brother, if a member of the church is overtaken in a fault, if someone sins in the church and they alter the direction of their life, there are supposed to be people in the church spiritual enough to come alongside that errant member of the church and bear them back into 
the church, the fellowship of the believers. Now, how do we know when someone's in a fault? Oh, they offended me. They didn't treat me right. Uh, no, you are not the judge. This is the judge. You've got to have enough of the word of God in you so that you can see the difference between right and wrong. It's not right and wrong according to your feelings. It's right and wrong according to the word of God. And when you see someone move out of that way, you're to come along and you're to pick up the burden of the word of God and help bear them or restore them back to the fold of the local church. Amen? But it says in verse 5, For every man shall bear his own burden. Now, I want us just to think about the, the staves. What would happen if we had the ark just sitting right here, and one person came here and grabbed a hold of the end of one stave and picked up? What would happen? Uh, nothing good. He's not moving the ark by himself. In fact, if we had two guys on opposite corners picking up opposite ends of the ark, we're not going to have anything good happen. The staves are just going to dig down in the ground and we're only going to be able to lift the ark as far as the staves will hold on to the floor and allow the ark to move up. We have to have one person on each corner, or two very big people grabbing up both of those staves and holding that. But God's design was that the burden would not be so significant on any one individual that there would be four that would bear that ark. Does that sound like the love relationship that ought to be in the lives of Christians? And what holds us together? Well, what was in the ark? It was the Word of God. Now, what I'm trying to do is paint the picture of the God painted in the lives of Old Testament Israel and how we are supposed to behave and walk in New Testament service to the same Christ who is the living word. Could we have an amen on that? Amen. You see, we have a type of Christianity that is talking, uh, talked and promulgated on the airwaves and the media and all of this, where you come to church because you're going to be entertained, you're going to be made to feel good, you're going to realize your inner champion. Isn't that what somebody says? Uh, I'm sorry. But there ain't no champion in there. There's a sinner in there. And until you get a hold of the burden of the Word of God, you're never going to have a relationship with the God of this book called the Bible. It's not positive to explain to people that they are sinners on their way to an eternal hell 
with no hope. But that's what the Bible teaches. And until you believe that the Bible teaches that your sin will separate you forever from God in the fires of a place called hell, will you come to Jesus and pick up the burden of his word and understand that I'm a sinner saved by grace. You see, I can forgive other people what they do to me, not because I'm such a good person. Well, you're a preacher. You're supposed to forgive. Uh, Jesus said, if you don't forgive others from your hearts, God's not going to forgive you. That's what the Bible teaches. And if I'll reach down and pick up that burden, guess what? It's going to change me, is it not? How many of you have ever had to carry something a long distance? You say, I got a backpack I have to take to school. Well, whenever we go for a walk, I have Joey in one arm and Jason in the other. I'm getting my exercise, let me tell you. But that burden changes us. It weighs us down. You know, there are things that you cannot do when you're carrying or bearing a burden that you would be able to do if you didn't have that burden. And the Word of God does that in our lives. It stops us from doing things that we would like to do to please ourselves and forces us to do something that would please the Lord. Can we say amen to that? This is what the Word of God is supposed to do. But there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. The staves in the ark teach us that we have to be connected to others to carry the word. I've often made this statement. Every time I make it, somebody looks at me a little cross-eyed. You cannot be right with God unless you're right with a local Bible-believing, and I believe it ought to have Baptist in the name, church. Didn't get any amens on that one. We should have. Because God's place for the preaching of his word is his church. And if you're going to be right with God, and if you're going to bear the burden of God's word, you're going to have to be connected. Just like the priests were when they carried the staves, held the staves that bore the ark. And you know what? Many churches are designed today as social clubs. We all come and we put a little bit in and we get something out. Let me tell you, that's blasphemous to the truth of the Bible. What did Jesus give on the cross so that you could have the forgiveness of your sins? He gave it all now, didn't he? He gave his life that we might go free. Paul said it in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present, what? Yourselves, a living sacrifice, holy, and by the way, if it isn't W-H-O-L-L-Y, it's not H-O-L-Y either. 
How many got that? Okay, some of you did. Let's explain it for those who didn't. If it isn't everything, it's not dedicated to God. It's got to be all of you. You see, we are to bear one another's burdens. And when I pick up my end of that stave, guess what? There has to be somebody on the other end of it. If we go back to our picture of the ark, even if I had two guys on this end and they tried to carry the ark, it wouldn't carry. You have to have two people, one person at the end of each one of those staves. In fact, if the staves were long enough, you could put two or three people at each corner. And that ark, which would have been almost impossible for one man to carry, wouldn't weigh a thing. Because the staves are what is carrying the ark, not any individual. This is what the Bible's talking about here when it says, bear ye one another's burdens. You see, as I grab a hold of the word of God in my life, I'm encouraging and helping someone else's. This is what John says in 1 John when it says, if you love God, if you love the people of God, here, hereby do, let's turn there. I'm quoting four verses at the same time. I'm sorry. 1 John. Verse 2 says, by this, know, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. You see, when I grab a hold of the Word of God in obedience, I'm going to be brought into contact with other people that are holding on to the Word of God. Doesn't that sound like a good definition of the local church? Well, it's meant to be connected. And if I am loving the God of the word, I'm going to love the other people that are holding on to the staves. I don't have a choice. Have you ever met a couple? Uh, this has often been said earlier in our lives of my wife and I. Why did she fall for him? And we take that, why do people in our church care for one another? Oh, it's real easy. You see, when I grab a hold of the stave, I'm connected. And I can't help but love the other people. You see, it's real easy to love the heathen that live across the world because I can't reach out and touch them. And most of the time, we're very glad that they can't reach out and touch us. I want to have my personal space. Let me tell you, that's not God's design. God's design is to have us connected. In fact, many members of our church have said this over the year. I feel close over the years. I feel closer to people in this church than I do to some of my own family members. And you know what? That's the way it ought to be. If you got a hold of the stave. Now we're going to end on time. 
God designed the staves to bear the ark. If you ignore the staves and you try to carry the word on your own, that's what I mean by Lone Ranger Christians. I don't need church. I I don't need to be a member of any specific church. I'm a member of that universal invisible church. Well, I'll tell you what. uh, We'll start a universal, universal invisible bank account, but I'll hold the money, all right? Just try to draw it out. There's no such thing as a universal invisible anything except God. He is universal and he is invisible. The church is not God. A lot of people make that mistake. But if I ignore those staves, if I decide I'm going to do it on my own, what's going to happen to you? Same thing happened to Uzzah. Now, if you're truly saved, guess what? You don't lose your salvation, but you lose everything else. You can lose your family. You can lose your testimony. You will lose your joy. You will lose your fellowship with other believers because you're too busy being on your own. It will bring death. But, and the greatest warning in the least amount of time, it could make applications on this all night long. If you get to thinking, if I get to thinking as a Christian, God needs me. This is where God is. We'll just take the staves out of the ark because it doesn't need to move anymore. We'll lose the word altogether. And we'll become just like the Jewish people. Not the believers in God, but the Jewish religious leaders in the day of Jesus worshipped an empty room. There was nothing there except their own tradition. Because they had taken the staves out and the word wasn't with them. You can't touch the ark and live. Because you're a sinful human being. God put the staves to bear the ark. I do not bear your burdens by sitting in my office and going, Oh, it's so sad. I feel for you. I think we had a president that gave us enough of I feel your pain. Don't, don't, don't you? Does anybody remember that? Uh, I don't want somebody to feel my pain. I want them to fix it. Isn't that true? I don't want to go into the doctor and say, Doctor, my leg hurts. I can't walk on it. I can't put any weight on it. It it just is killing me. And the doctor says, I feel your pain. (laughs) Give me a break. In fact, it probably is broke. Fix it. Amen. I bear your burden. By grabbing a hold of the stave of God's word and obeying in my personal life. 
when I am struggling in my personal life to be obedient to God's word, I'm hindering your ability to do the same. And that's true for every member of our church. If you're not saved, I don't care how good you feel about God, you don't have a hold of the stake because only the priest could bear the ark. And you've got to be saved. We need to just do things after the pattern of God. If we neglect the staves... The oxen are going to stumble. You cannot allow the ark to fall. Somebody's going to die. Just the way it's going to be. If we think or allow ourselves to think that God needs us and this is the final resting place and we pull the staves out. Thursday night we preached, I preached about the church in Sardis. Jesus said, Thou hast a name that thou livest, and art what? Does anybody remember from Thursday night? Three people did. Let's try that again. Thou art what? Dead. Dead. No ark. No salvation. No word. No salvation. God doesn't save you because you feel good. He saves you because you're obedient to the words of this book called the Bible. If you're going to live for God, get a hold of one of the staves. You want to be a help and a blessing to people? And who doesn't? Who does not want to help other people? If you are one of those selfish, mean people that you only want to help yourself, I mean, there's a place you can get rid of that. You need to get saved and let God live inside of you. But you're not helping someone by just going up and getting emotional with them. You help someone else when you obey the word of God. When you grab a hold of that stave and you march according to the word of God. By the way, when those four priests or how many ever carried the ark of God, they had to be in lockstep with each other. And people say, all you want to do is brainwash us. Well, if you're talking about washing the filth of the world out of your brain, yes, I do. Your brain needs a bath. How about mine? Mine needs a bath. How about yours? Uh, We need to wash our brains with the water of the word. But we do not walk in lockstep because some preacher gets up and says, let's walk in lockstep. But if I'm obeying the word and you're obeying the word, we're going to be walking together. Because it's the Holy Spirit of God that's going to put us in time and meter. Something no man can do without creating a cult. Do we see the picture of the staves? Okay, one question. Actually, several. Are you saved? If you're saved, do you have a hold of the stave? And are you walking in the way that God would have you?
Now, I don't get up and preach on church membership every week, and that's not the entire design of this sermon. I'm just going to mention it very quickly at the end. In order to be a member of Open Door Bible Baptist Church, you have to be scripturally saved, scripturally baptized, and you have to desire to be a part of our church. That's it. You've got to grab a hold of the stave and walk with us. Amen? If you're saved, that's where you ought to be. If you're unsaved, you need to get saved. All you do to get saved is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But in order to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you may have to get rid of a few things. You may have to get rid of a lot of things. But that's okay. You don't need them. You need Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, as we look at the picture and the illustration of these staves and how they were used in the Old Testament and abused as well, Lord, let us look and understand that as servants of the same God, we're to grab a hold of that stave and walk together. Lord, let us not seek some false emotional cycle, whatever way to help others. Let us help others by grabbing a hold of the staves. We'll bear the burdens of others and we'll bear our own burden by just holding on to the stave. Lord, I ask that you would take this living illustration in your word as I have tried to paint the picture in words this morning and burn it deep into our souls. The Lord, we would not ignore the staves. We would not disdain the staves. We would never, ever allow ourselves to think that they're not necessary. Lord, that we would be willing to bear the burden of your word, which would allow us to bear the burdens of others your way. Dear Lord, in this time of invitation, we ask you to break hearts. We ask you to mold lives and help us to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.